0: All right, welcome back to the Sensible Medicine Podcast. I'm once again joined by my friends and colleagues. Dr. Adam Sifu from University of Chicago, John Mandrola, Cardiologist, Louisville, Kentucky. Gentlemen, it's a pleasure to see you back. It's a pleasure to see you back here on the Sensible Medicine Podcast. We've got a great lineup in store for the listeners. We're gonna talk about testosterone which is a substance that all three of us use exogenously. No, it's a substance that will be, will be the talk of the topic and when people should use testosterone or not. We're going to talk about Mike Joyner, who's suspended for the Mayo Clinic for controversial comments in the New York Times. And we're going to talk about the big question. Should scientists debate? Dr. Peter Hotez has been called out by Joe Rogan to debate. Should scientists debate? When should they debate? What are the rules around that? All right. Let's kick it off. Testosterone, Adam. You wrote this week in *Sensible Medicine* about testosterone. Tell us what's the talk of the town. Why are we Why are we talking about testosterone?
1: So there was a, a an article last week in *New England Journal* that got a lot of press, um, which was looking at whether testosterone is basically safe in older men, mm-hmm. and to sort of pull back on the topic. Um, you know, a low androgen states is something real. Um, there are men who have very low androgen levels because of testicular problems or de- problems with their pituitary or hypothalamus, and those people need to be treated. And then there's this group of men who have been treated for the last 10, 15 years with testosterone for what seemed to be really low normal, testosterone levels no clear reason that their testosterone is low but the idea that well you know maybe treating them will make them feel better because testosterone we think helps a lot of things it makes people more energetic gives them more muscle mass um, makes them happier um, and you know there's been a debate about whether that's appropriate and part of the debate has been well is it safe to give someone who's got fairly normal testosterone levels extra testosterone and there are plenty of reasons why it might not be safe um can certainly drive prostate cancer Um, and we worry a lot about the cardiovascular risk of testosterone because we all know that men for some reason have higher cardiovascular risk than women Um, and so the fda i think kind of impressively in 2015 said hey you guys, we pharma companies, you're making a lot of money on this. We need some studies showing it's safe. Um, And the article in the New England Journal, if you read the abstract, I think you'd come away saying, oh, this is good news, testosterone safe. But if you read it in more detail, I think it actually tells us essentially nothing. Um, And I, I don't know if the design was on purpose, but it was sort of impressive to design a study which comes out to be negative, but which in fact is meaningless.
0: Hmm, okay. Now we're getting into the thick of things. So listeners will know that we're talking about the multi-center randomized control trial. It's five thousand two hundred men, forty five to eighty. You've got to have symptoms of hypogonadism. Adam, you're gonna have to tell us what those are. And you've also also have to have two low testosterone levels, less than 300 nanograms per deciliter. Then you get randomized to the testosterone patch or placebo, and the primary endpoint is non-inferior cardiovascular events, which occurred in 7% in the testosterone group, 7.3% in the placebo group. The hazard ratio, 0.96, but the confidence interval goes from 0.78 to 1.17. It says it's significant for non-inferiority. I'm going to be curious what the non-inferiority bound is. But basically, this is a study that... It's really a lot like the diabetes studies, it looks like to me, where typically the upper bound for non-inferiority is 1.2. Um, in other words, that we will say it's non-inferior to take testosterone over nothing if you don't have 20% more heart attacks, uh, which I think is a lot more heart attacks. I mean, 20% is a lot. I would love to see an upper bound of like 5% or 3%, or you know, but that'll take a huge sample size, 100,000 people. Adam, why don't you or you, John? You want to say something before Adam tells us what's the problem with this study?
2: No, no. I mean, I think I think that's right. I mean, Adam Adam is really you know he's going to have a great great column on this and and I covered it on on a, this week in cardiology podcast and I mean the non inferiority boundary non inferiority margin that they chose was one point five, which means
0: one point five. What the
2: fuck? What, yeah, <laughs> really? which means. I mean these are this sounds like gibberish right so this means that this means that it would be considered non inferior for safety if there were 50% more heart attacks in the testosterone arm which that seems like a lot more heart attacks and strokes and I think the other thing to comment on this was a very short duration study which included 63 year old men right so a 63 year old man I mean who's studying testosterone for, I think it was like two years. I mean, that seems like if there's 50% more heart attack, let's say it's, let's say the upper bound was 40%, 1.4. I mean, that would still be declared safe, cardiovascular safe. And that's only two years. So I don't know. I think this was a, I mean, we can talk about it. You know a lot about non-inferiority margins, but it does seem like that's a pretty generous, That's pretty pretty generous. generous. Yeah. Adam?
1: I, it's interesting. It's, uh, what I like about this article is that, so I think you guys are you know, 100% right about the non inferior mar- margins, um, but I don't think that's really, that. that's the problem with how the study was planned, but it's not really the problem with how the study turned out, right? Um, because when you look at their actual data, I, there's really no effect, right? The hazard ratio is, sure. is um, close to one. The confidence intervals are fairly symmetric around that. What's striking is that the way they treated this, these people was homeopathy, right? Um, so these men, you know, had, um, I think a mean testosterone level of about 230. Okay. Which is true is a little bit below 300, which is generally our cutoff. Um, when we, and I use that liberally because I don't do a lot of this, but in the people I have treated with testosterone in this group, what you generally do with these men is you put them on a low dose of testosterone, you check their symptoms every you know, six to eight weeks, you recheck labs every six to eight weeks, and you're titrating their level up to get them like, you know, well into the normal range and see if you've felt their symptoms, okay? And make sure that they're not having side effects of the medications. These men, Um, the mean um, testosterone levels in the treated group peaked at around 350, okay, which is like barely treated. And then what's amazing about Mm, this is in the less than three years that the trial went on, 60% of the men who were treated with testosterone stopped the medication. Why did they stop it? It wasn't doing anything. It's because they weren't really even treated. It was the same level of stoppage as in the placebo group, okay? Wow. So it's it's homeopathy, it's a treatment which barely affects testosterone levels, which has no effect on symptoms. And so of course it's not having negative effects on the you know adverse outcomes they're looking at because they're barely treating people.
0: So this is actually a brilliant point that's true of all non-inferiority studies, which is that they are much more likely to conclude non-inferiority if you do a piss-poor job of administering the treatment. I mean, you know, in the, cl- in the trials, if you go up against Coumadin and you barely give Coumadin, then anything, even placebo, will be non to Coumadin. So, look, you have to do a good job of the treatment. So this is really a brilliant point. Adam, First, those of us who – look, I'm in the business of cutting the testosterone away to zero. That's what That's what we oncologists specialize we do in. Do. <laughs> <laughs> we do specialize in that. Mike, I got a few basic questions as uh, somebody with the opposite problem, what are exactly the symptoms of hypogonadism? What are the symptoms people complain about? Um, and right. what would make you even check the testosterone? Yeah.
1: Right, so this is a difficult thing because um, the range of of symptoms which can be attributed to hypogonadism, hypoandrogenemia, low T, you know, whatever we want to call it, um, are, are very many and are mostly nonspecific, right? So, so there are some very specific ones. Um, you know, men, especially younger men who come in with a marked change in their libido, you know, I'm just not interested in having sex anymore, right? That's abnormal, right? And that's something which bears evaluation. Many of the symptoms and many of the things which got people into this trial, though, are very nonspecific symptoms, right? It's fatigue, it's lack of energy, it's lack of interest, It's shaving less frequently than you used to shave, right? It's all sorts of um, things that have a very, very, very wide differential. um, And it's hard to attribute to just a low normal or slightly low testosterone. I see.
0: So it could even be long COVID in there, too, it sounds like to me.
1: (laughs) You got it. I actually (laughs) joked in the article that I would have qualified for this study because during COVID, I shaved less because I was wearing a mask at work. And what was the point of shaving every day if I was wearing a mask?
0: Okay, then second stupid question. Okay, so this is a nice thing. So okay, obviously um, diminished libido would be one that's more specific, but there are all these non-specific symptoms. Um, makes sense. Okay, then the next point I would ask is, uh, what are the side effects? The non-cardiovascular side effects of testosterone replacement? What would happen to my beautiful, beautiful hair? Were I to take it? You know, what what would happen theoretically to that? <laughs> it's, a,
1: it's a good question. So, so the side effects that I think we follow most closely um, are are our symptoms, mostly. Um, you definitely, definitely, definitely get um, BPH prostate growth. People will complain that they're having more difficulty urinating. We follow PSA because there's the concern that people with maybe low-grade prostate cancer, we stimulate the growth of that cancer. Mm-hmm. Um, um, testosterone and dihydrotestosterone, the sort of most potent derivative of testosterone is, um, does cause hair loss, so we, we can certainly see hair loss with that. Um, we follow blood counts. People get higher blood counts, which um, could downstream cause stroke. We follow that closely. And interestingly, in this study, although it was a negative study, um, there were st- some um, small but statistically significant increases in actually real adverse e- effects. There was about 1% more atrial fibrillation in the treated group. Um, there was more DVT or venous thromboembolism in the in the treated group. And so there are some real side effects even in this trial that was both, I think, planned and run in a way to not show harm.
0: Hmm. Should um, we, should
1: we, yeah.
2: should Go we ahead. talk about, um, it's sort of a post hoc kind of criticism, but should we talk about study sponsorship?
0: Go ahead, hit them, hit him where it hurts. I mean,
1: not surprisingly. And, and maybe this is a place that we maybe can't blame pharma as much as we usually can because it it was basically a demand from the fda to say hey study this right so this trial was of course funded sponsored everything um, by pharma um as usual um you know the usual caveats are there that it's designed by the authors um, and the first draft was written by the authors of course industry um reads the article and makes recommendations about the article. Um, when you look at the at the authors and their um, confluence of interest, um, these are authors who have a lot to do with the industry who's making this drug.
0: You know, I guess it, it, the cynical view I would just say is that, look, if you were, if I was at the company and FDA asked me to run a non-fiority study, the first thing I would do is exactly what Adam says, which is I will find people who barely need tea and I'll barely give it to them because the less I give them of the tea, I'll give so little of the tea, they throw away the ointment or whatever the hell they're supposed to have. It's an ointment on the skin, isn't it? Yeah, I give them so little that 60% throw it away because it's like barely doing anything for them. I barely change the level. I'm guaranteeing myself... I'm gonna get the same number of MIs. It would be really risky if I cranked up their T from like 100 to 500 or something like that, and they have tons, but they feel so different. Then I'll actually be sweating bullets about the MI risk. Um, so I think this is brilliant. I mean, if I was at the company, the first thing I'd say is you want a margin so big you can park a school bus in it, 1.5? That's huge. That's a huge margin. I mean, just think, to put it another way, that we would, I mean, if COVID caused 1.5 times as many heart attacks it would be like front page news like you know we have 50% more heart attacks we need to stop the spread you know but it's a huge population level risk to have that much heart attacks so i think that margin is absolutely unacceptable and then as adam says giving a homeopathic dose it's brilliant i mean it's pharma 101 what do you think john i like it
2: i think but yeah i think the i think the larger point for our listeners is that much of the bias in these trials is not so much in you know, how the data is analyzed and and how it's spawned, but how it's designed, right? I mean, yeah. I think John Uniti's talked about this, um it, you know, and why why most published research is false. I mean, one of the one of the one of the key things in bias is is how trials are designed. And so there's nothing nefarious about this. I mean the FDA this was probably all in agreement with FDA. Well, actually, maybe the whole FDA connection is a tiny bit nefarious, but but I mean it was they checked the right boxes, right? They 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 agreed upon a margin. They agreed upon a level that they would titrate to, which is very little. Sixty percent discontinued the drug. Now they did do sensitivity analysis, right? So they looked at people who took the drug, um, sort of a sort of an on treatment, and they found it was the same non-inferiority. But again, as Adam points out, that is a very very small increase in testosterone levels. So I just think a larger point is just the whole design of the study was perhaps biased to begin with, rather than, you know, trying to answer a true scientific question. And remember a study with 60%
1: dropout, you know, when you get into that sensitivity analysis, boy, your your power to show anything is getting to near zero, um, especially with this enormous non-inferiority margin. Um, I have to, I got to say, I have to check myself on this because I go into this, which with such skepticism um, because this is the medicine that I am the least interested in practicing, right? I I, I love, you know, diagnosis, I love treatment, I love helping people, you know, who are sick. Um, I even as a general internist, you know, I love managing chronic diseases, I even, You know, you guys will cringe, you know, I like doing appropriate preventative therapy. Um, (laughs) But I really can't stand um, of treating things that I consider the human condition, right? Um, You know, I'm in my mid-50s. I feel a whole lot different than I felt in my mid-20s, right? And if someone like me came to the doctor and said, You know, I'm a little more tired, I can't exercise as much, you know, I'm more achy, what can you do for me? Like, those are the complaints that I usually just kind of shrug. And I'm like, you know, I'll check your labs, I'll make sure there's nothing obvious. And if there's nothing obvious, I'm done. Um, What this whole low-T treatment industry was about, you know, medicalizing those symptoms. And what can we do to do that? How can we get those people um, into you know, into the med- medical industrial complex. And it's an enormous market, right? If you consider that 2.5% of men, um, just by where we draw, draw normals on a bell curve, are gonna have, you know, borderline low testosterone. And you look at these symptoms that people are have, this is an enormous market. This would be a huge success to be able to give all of these people treatment.
0: You know, that's really well put. And I think, um... I completely have the same philosophy as you do, Adam. Only difference is I'm still on the upswing of life. Let's be, let's be clear on that. <laughs> I'm still on the upswing at forty. Okay, I'm still on the upswing. But I totally agree with your the philosophy. The one thing I want to add, add to it is I think many people succumb to, let me put it another way. Why are the same people who are so skeptical of medical drugs so happy to embrace vitamin D and testosterone? Because they think it's like natural. I was like, there's nothing natural about squirting ointment testosterone and rubbing it into your flat. I mean, it is a medical intervention, and I, I'm not sure I think Ozempic is more unnatural than tea. They're similarly exogenous medical products. The question is, what's the evidence for both? And yet, I think there is a group of people who Ozempic would be absolutely unacceptable to them, but testosterone, vitamin D, all these things will be acceptable. And then the final question I want to pose to everybody, and I'll answer it myself too, Which is like, let's say you were in charge of the NIH, and we weren't just concerned about safety, you were concerned about the overall question, which is, is this strategy of like taking people who come in with these nebulous complaints, typically, testing them for tea and giving them tea and seeing what happens, does it actually make them net better off? Like, what would be your study, maybe John and Adam, maybe Adam, yeah, what would be your study if you're like, you know, you could have, I'll give you 50,000 person sample size, whatever you want, but like, what, what does it mean to be net better, what would persuade you that we ought to screen every man over the age of 50 for low T and give him T? And, and what would you find in that study that say, oh God, this is a bad idea? Um, okay, that's my question. You want to go, John, or you want to go? Adam's ready.
1: I'll, I'll start. Chomping. I mean, okay, yeah. I. I uh... It's so complicated because in a world where um, people are responsible for their own health and paying for their own health care, um, sort of like who cares, right? Um, if you want to do something that makes you feel a little bit better, even if it's a placebo, you know that's fine. Um, if we're saying you know, this is medicine, and Adam you this is standard of care medicine that you have to practice, and we as a society are going to pay for that, you know, that's a completely different issue. And boy, that's a really hard study to design, because I'd like a blinded study that, that clearly shows that people have a better quality of life, um, and I want to make sure that I'm not harming them, and that's uh, going to be a pretty broad ask. I'm not just looking at mortality there. I'm looking at, you know, physicians visit, healthcare costs, all sorts of other things. Um, but as I said, it's it's not what I consider medicine. It's not what I want to spend my day doing. Because uh, John, you think that there's doing? some
0: parts of human aging where things aren't going to be exactly like it was when you were 20,
1: right? And maybe that's a whole
0: nother field. Um, yeah it's called denying reality. And that's a field that many rich people want to put themselves in. Okay. Uh, John?
2: (laughs) Yeah, I I think there's sort of an epistemic philosophical issue. And I I talked about it. I'm so glad that Adam and I came to sort of the same conclusion. And my conclusion was that I just don't think this is a place that medicine ought to be going, right? Because we ought to have a sixty-three-year-old or sixty-five-year-old man is not going to have the same virality, the same energy, fatigue, sagging muscles. I mean, these things are part of aging. You just you can't haven't do seen that.
0: RFK pump iron yet. I see.
2: I, I know <laughs> I, I have seen that, and it's good. But I I guarantee you, it's less than he was pumping at age thirty. And 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 you you know if you're a cyclist and you have a little watt meter. You're, no matter how hard you're trying, your watts per kilo are gonna go down and it's part of normal um, lifespan. And it's clear that testosterone has medical effects. It's clear that GLP-1 agonists have medical effects. And, and you know you mentioned the study. I mean, in an ideal world, we would have five year, 10 year data to see whether or not we're, we're actually helping or harming patients. And it's the same thing with ADHD drugs, right? I mean, it's it's the same thing. These drugs have real chemical effects in the body and then the pharma industry needs a disease and and you have this disease uh sort of creation and I just I don't know. I philosophically I'm with Adam. I think that doctors do their best work when patients are sick and they're asking for help and we we have evidence-based treatments that help them, but this is a very, very difficult issue. It's almost like a first-world problem.
0: Mm. My closing thought, and you know, I love what you guys are saying. My closing thought is. Um... If I were to design the randomized control trial, I think you would need a few trials. I mean, I think one trial would be a trial of screening versus no screening. Like, should you even go look for this if they're not complaining? Other trials should be among people who present with symptoms of hypogonadism, whatever that may be. And it sounds quite nebulous. And so these days, everyone will have those symptoms. Um, You ask whether or not different treatment strategies work. I'd love to see multi-arms. So we take them up to different thresholds and see what happens. I'd love to see some studies where you randomize people to like T- or placebo, and you even alternate it for the individual, like two months of T and then one month of placebo, and then have them take a symptom score to see on the month they're on placebo, can they tell that it's come down or is there a difference in symptoms? And then the gold standard way to know it should be a medical strategy, I think to Adam's point is that the net improvement in health-related quality of life has to be bigger than the net decrement in health-related quality of life from increased MI, loss of hair, all the secondary side effects. And that trial will have to be huge, I think. 50,000-person trial. it have to be massive to even pick up these signals. My gut tells me they're going to have more heart attacks. I just really think it's hard to, I mean, it is hard to, this is one of my biases, which is that why has testosterone in human beings evolved to have this pattern and decline? Maybe there's some evolutionary purpose to that. Um, and the more you sort of muck with that, I suspect, like everything in medicine, you're going to get some, untoward secondary effects and so i suspect there is some increase in the risk of heart attacks and if you really push t up and so the question is is the quality of life better to you such that it's worth having those events uh this study didn't show it but this study as adam says was you know sort of designed to fail speaking of testosterone I think, oh yes go ahead
1: let me just say i i think you're ignoring the fact that yeah. You know, 20 years ago, we were so successful in treating menopause with estrogen. Huh. So shouldn't we just treat menopause with testosterone? <laughs> I mean, it's an obvious analogy that you're just missing out on.
0: Yeah. Well, menopause. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 and it's a great analogy because as last, last I checked, the, we got a few things wrong in that hormone replacement <laughs> business. And we probably got a few things wrong here. It's a great analogy. Speaking of testosterone. Michael Joyner, <laughs> speaking of testosterone, this is a great segue because actually this nice. was testosterone well that got him, in, got him in trouble. Mike Joyner, of course, is an anesthesiologist and professor of medicine at the Mayo Clinic. And uh, I wrote about him because I said, you know, pre-COVID-19, we were besties because we both thought that the genome had been exaggerated, the role of the genome in biomedicine Ten years ago, they told us that you check somebody's genomics and then figure out what blood pressure medicine to give them. And last I checked, the only thing I need to know to figure out what blood pressure medicine to give them is their blood pressure. I don't need to know their genetics. That turned out to be pretty useless. Mike was always on that page. During the pandemic, Mike and I disagreed a lot. He gave a lot of convalescent plasma off protocol. I think he gave it to 100,000 people. I thought maybe some of those 100,000 people could have been randomized, so we might have had some idea maybe seven months sooner, that sort of thing. But Mike Joyner got himself in a hell of a lot of trouble because his research focus is exercise physiology. So for years, he's the he knows a lot about, you know, VO2 max and oxygen, all these things that I don't know a lot about. John knows a lot about. He's a cyclist. Mike Joyner knows a lot about that. And the New York Times called him up and they said, Mike, what do you think of the Penn swimmer uh, who is a transgendered individual, Leah Thomas? What do you think about this individual? Is it fair? And I will be the first to admit, I don't know the answer to this fair question because, these are complicated subjects, and I'm a humble oncologist. But what Mike said was, what Mike said was, he said that if you have testosterone in your body for many many years, you cannot deny that does a lot of things to the body, like make it bigger and stronger. "Quote: Testosterone is the 800-pound gorilla in the room." End quote. Now, of course, I believe when he said 800-pound gorilla, he was referring to a uh, important consideration that people should acknowledge. I don't think he was making any sort of insensitive comments about any individual. That's my interpretation of how he used that phrase. Uh, however, it was printed in the New York Times, and many people, as one would imagine, wanted Mike's head on a platter. Well, it turned out that Mayo Clinic was happy to, you know, scold him in private. A few months later, they put him on a probation or something like that, um, where he, he had to get their permission to talk to the newspapers, And he was asked about convalescent plasma for CNN. He said something banal about how it was good. Obviously, I think he's wrong about that. It's only good depending on the titers, et cetera, et cetera. Um, He said something to CNN, and then they've reprimanded him, gave him a two-week suspension. You can find a copy of the um, suspension letter. And it actually says, because of your prior comments, um, uh, uh, your idiomatic comments to The New York Times and this. So the issue is not was Mike Joyner right about his comments on testosterone and the swimmer? We'll set that aside for another day when anyone wants to be canceled. That's a separate issue. The issue is that he said what, whatever he's doing his research on, he has an opinion on it. He said it to the New York times, the university is punishing him for that. They put him on suspension. Um, it's problematic. Uh, okay. So the question is about academic freedom, really, you know, should he be suspended for these comments? Uh, john you want to you want to you want follow this a little bit what are your thoughts
2: i mean i think adam should go first since he's oh, okay
1: <laughs> all right adam of course yeah i you know we all speak in our own way and there are times that you know i think we say things that we'd go back there ah, that wasn't elegant in the way i say that you know i've done that all the time um and I, I agree with you, you know, as I sort of read through this and, and I don't think he actually meant anything terribly harmful by this. Um, I also think it probably wasn't in the, given the topic he was talking about, um, he would probably love to go back and change what he said because it was certainly inelegant at best. Um, but boy, it scares me to hear about, you know, his, his job, clinic, you know, institution, whatever, um, censuring him because of that. I mean, that's frightening. Um, um, you know, and and they can come out with a statement saying, "Boy, we disagree with, you know, how he spoke, but he works for us, and we're proud to have him, and he does a lot of great work." And man, you know, they have hung a lot on him over the years because of all the publications he has and the expert he is in his field. Um, and I think they need to support him.
0: John?
2: This is terrible. This is a man who was commenting in his field of expertise. I mean, he has devoted his life to exercise science. There's almost nobody better to comment. He's a professor of medicine at Mayo Clinic. And, you know, okay, so maybe 800-pound gorilla is a little bit Inelegant, but I I totally get it. I mean, uh, I I think this is terrible. In fact, this stimulated me to donate uh, money to the fire organization uh, uh, in support of freedom. We we must have. We I'm like a one issue voter. We must have freedom of expression in science and academia, and I I, I just think it's terrible. And I would note i would note that um and and you may read about this soon but in 2012 the outgoing editor of circulation outcomes a person i've met and agreed upon about a lot of things pre-pandemic harlan krumholz from yale wrote an editorial a note to my younger colleagues dash dash dash, be brave now how is a younger scientist Going to be brave in 2023 when a person like Michael Joyner makes a comment and is sanctioned uh, from from his institution, Mayo Clinic, a pillar of science. How does a younger colleague stand a chance of being brave, questioning dogma, speaking uh, a truth to power? I just think this is an awful, awful story.
0: Yeah. Okay. So we're all in agreement here. You know the late Bob Zimmer at your place, Adam. You know, he would have been mortified because one of his great, I think, legacies was that he stood up for people who he disagrees with. And the other thing about this issue that's so tough is that, of course, you know, and this, and, and to be perfectly honest, I don't have, you know, I have my own views, which actually do fall somewhere in the middle, especially around like children's sports, where I, I'm not even really sure I understand why people are even keeping score in half these kids events. So I'm like, who cares, really? Okay, so I, and I'm not even a, like, I'm not a huge sport lover here. Okay, but I, I think there's a conversation we had about fairness, what it means to have fairness. And obviously, the country has its own opinion. It's probably different than what the newspaper's opinions are. And there's a conversation about fairness, and it's going to work itself out over 20 years. And you know, I think it's going to be very different twenty years from now. Not particularly; it's not the conversation that you see me spending my time on. But he has his opinion. To censor him, I think is crazy. And as the three, and among the three of us, only one of us has never put anything inelegantly before. That's me, of course. <laughs> the only one of us who's never put anything inelegantly and never regretted how he phrased something. Um, and I can tell you <laughs> from that vantage, you know, look, I, I, I'm i sympathetic to even my own critics who are like, you shouldn't have said it this way or that way. But the place that I lose my sympathy for them is they're just like v- insistence upon attacking, like trying to get me fired, where I'm like, just grow up, okay? You all say things that I think you're an idiot about all the time. In fact, most of you say things that I think you're wrong, it's harmful, you're an idiot. That's how I felt when they tried to toddler mask these kids. I thought that they were harmful too. I never once wrote to someone's boss and said, fire your employee because he wants to toddler mask. I said, fine, you want to fight this in the the war of ideas? I'll fight you there too. I'll write my op-eds and my op-eds will get traction over you and I will defeat you in the course of history. That's how I view it. And so I also want to say to these people who complain, grow up, stop complaining. Okay, you read something you don't like, write a rebuttal. Shut up. And if if I was the dean of a university, I promise you one thing. I would issue a statement. And here's the statement shut up you people i never i was like listen we have a faculty of 1000 people and some people think these things and some people think other things and i will never punish any of my faculty for any views they ever hold and if you don't like their view then you need to destroy them in the court of public opinion you know you write your own op-eds or you you know destroy the view don't come to me crying i'm not your mother i'm not a kindergarten teacher i'm a dean And the only thing I care about is fundraising, okay? So unless you're giving me money, I'm not going to be, no right. You know, but I mean, why are they even entertaining these? I'm not going to have a complaint box. The first thing I'm doing is hammering that box shut. No complaints accepted if I'm dean. And, you know, and of course, some faculty are going to hang themselves because this is something I think is gray. I can imagine somebody says something that even I will say, God damn, that is really problematic. But I'm inclined to just let it go because you know, it'll settle. If it's really problematic, they're not going to gain a lot of adherence. I mean, the only reason they can gain adherence is if it's like just close enough to what's acceptable that people find palatable. All right. Any last thoughts on it? It's
2: interesting. It's it's interesting. uh, Sorry. It's interesting that we've been talking about this and we really haven't even talked about the actual, the actual issue, the actual issue, you know, whether transgender athletes can Participate in whatever sport and the and, uh, influence of testosterone and fairness and all that. The, it, it's almost the issue is really the ability to speak an opinion uh, that is uh, some people don't like. And it's, it's, and okay, here it's transgender athletics, but it could be other things. It could be masking toddlers. It could be COVID lockdowns. It could be testosterone. It could be, you know, GLP agonists for obesity. So I don't know. I just, I totally agree. And I, 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 I we just must find a way to have tolerance of ideas.
0: Adam, closing thought.
1: Vinay, I I like the, the way that you uh, talk about actually the sort of different levels of tolerance of debate, um, because it is something that there's real Variance on. Um, right. I mean, I, the three of us certainly all agree. Listen, all of these issues are open. Um, we have to debate these things. This is how we move not only science and medicine, but society forward, right? Kind of, kind of number one. Um I have at times, you know, I'm probably like the most conservative, wimpy something on this. Um, issue because I'm at times saying like, ah oh God, are these debates we should even have in the public sphere, or mm. should these be among the experts? Um I'm also one who occasionally you know will shy away from just how nasty these debates are. Um you know although Vinay you've always um you know I think tried to stay away from sort of ad hominem debates, right? You admit, you've said some nasty things about people, right? You you know, you're a dummy, you don't know what you're talking about, you're an (laughs) idiot, right? Um, um, It's sort of one more step. Um, And then there's this step of, right, of sort of going after people's profession and whether it's, we should take away your medical license or we should get you fired, Um, you know, which is, uh, you know, which is just beyond the pale to me. would be an interesting article to sort of outline yeah, these yeah, various right. levels of of you know how much debate and how much side debate and and how how much different tone you know we're we're able to accept in these arguments.
0: It's like nuclear war. The moment you start to like go to someone's <laughs> employer, yeah, you just dropped a nuke. Right. It's like okay, look, right. we all agree right. we can fight right. a war, but let's not go to the nukes. And then the right. last thing is, I gotta say about the, I mean, look, obviously. Everyone knows that I called Mehdi Hassan an idiot from MSNBC <laughs> because I think he is an idiot. But look, yeah, okay, part of me was like, maybe I shouldn't have called him an idiot. Uh, the other part of me is like, well, you know, the way he went after Monica Gandhi, he's always going to be on my grudge list for that. Um, and, um, and somebody wrote in my comments, they were like, you know, no good doctor ever called someone an idiot. And then I said, you don't talk to a lot of doctors, man, because that's all they do is in private. They're like, that's an idiot. That's an idiot. I mean, come on. Who are we kidding? Okay, yes, we should act with a little more decorum in public, but most people do think that people they disagree with them on very obvious issues are in fact an idiot. Okay, the last topic, debate.
1: I'm pretty sure you and I called each other idiots in a classroom in 2009 (laughs) when you were my
2: student.
0: (laughs) and that's how that's how we hit it off. that's how we hit hey, it
2: off. if you're not thinking publicly if if you're thinking publicly and haven't been called an idiot, I don't think you're thinking very well
0: that's right. I mean, you know, to be thinking originally you sometimes you'll get things right and sometimes you'll get things wrong. Mehdi Hassan, maybe someday he'll get it right. you know <laughs> maybe someday he'll get one right by chance. I mean by like okay, let's do debate. Um, the big issue this week is r. f k jr. Peter Hotez. Uh, How did it get started? Uh, Peter Hotez, of course, is a vaccine developer in Baylor, I believe, in Texas. He was more than happy to go on the Joe Rogan show many months ago during the pandemic. I think I listened to it on the episode. If I recall, he actually talks about how happy he is to be on Rogan. so, lots of people like to go on Joe Rogan when you want to build up your image because Joe Rogan's got more listeners than CNN. I mean, he's pulling down 3 4 times as many. And by the way, Joe Rogan, if you ever listening, I'd love to be on the show. Okay. I'm no different to Self-Aggrand. I'm no stranger to Self-Aggrandizement. I'd love to be on the show too. Okay, but they're happy to go on then. Then he's got RFK Jr. on. Lengthy interview. I actually fact-checked it for Barry Weiss for the Free Press where I acknowledge that RFK Jr. has a lot of things to say correct about regulatory capture. And policy. I actually kind of like some of his views about war. He's a sort of anti-war in the Ukraine. Um, he's got some views on MMR and Tdap and, and polio vaccine that I kind of disagree with. And I, I agree with his critics. It's kind of irresponsible to go around and just saying these things are associated with uh, uh, autism when, you know, that's probably going to lead people to change their behavior. I think it's kind of irresponsible of him too. So I'm happy to say not only is he probably unjustified by the evidence. He's also acting irresponsibly. Um, he also thinks that Wi-Fi will open the blood-brain barrier, leading toxins to enter the brain, something that uh, I disagree with him about because I like to have a very strong Wi-Fi signal, and I'll be damned if he, if he interferes with that. And I actually have another, th- uh, another funny thought, which was that his anti-vaccine views will get a lot more traction than his anti-Wi-Fi views, and I suspect even his most passionate followers are not going to throw away their router because they love the internet too. <laughs> I, think, I don't think anyone's going to give up that router. So Peter Hotez was critical, and Joe Rogan said, I'll give you $100,000 to the charity of your choice if you come on this podcast and debate. We could just say have a dialogue with RFK Jr. Hotez says no. And many people rally around Hotez, and they said no, because you should never legitimize somebody legitimize them who have crazy views by getting on stage with them to debate them. And I tweeted, well, that's why I'm never going to debate Peter Hotez, because I'll never legitimize somebody who is pro-prolonged school closure and masking toddlers and giving and mandating a vaccine that doesn't halt transmission. I'll never legitimize Peter Hotez. Okay, but then it's a joke, but the question is real, which is that who should scientists debate and when is debate you know, just too much because we all think there is some crazy out there that you're like, okay, I'm not going to waste my time debating them. So, who are the people that scientists should say I'm going to have a dialogue with this person? And when are they going to say, okay, look, I- I'm out of this? So, Adam, you got some thoughts on this?
1: I do. Um, you know, I I am sensitive to the idea that there are some people who have no platform who you know, giving those people a platform um, makes no sense. I mean, I think the first person, amazingly, that I heard speak really cogently on this was Oprah Winfrey uh, Hmm. about having racists on her show that she thought, oh, this is interesting. I'm going to beat these people to death on my show. But in fact, what she did is she just popularized them and gave these people more of a following (laughs) than they had before. So I understand that. I also understand the idea that... um, You know we've all come upon people in our lives who um are wrong about things but they're very smart and they're very good debaters and if you're um uh you know mindful about yourself and your old own abilities you may say like this person's wrong i deeply know they're wrong but i also know that if i argue with them i'm gonna lose you know um and And that's honestly a reason to not have a debate. And I actually, to be honest with you, I think probably that's what Hotez is thinking, is that, look, he's a smart guy, he's a scientist, he's quite accomplished, right? Um, um, But Rogan and RFK, man, you know, they are professional communicators and they are incredibly successful at this. And they've had these arguments over and over and over and over again for years. And he may be right about these issues. I believe he's right about you know most of these vaccine issues. But he's going to get killed if he was on the show. And and I think I would come out and say that I would say I'm right. Um, but I wouldn't do well in in this forum. Um, maybe someone else could do a better job. Uh, you know, let me talk to some of my friends who could, who
0: could. I totally agree with you that he would get killed. And uh, to be honest, Adam, that's how I feel sometimes when I debate you. <laughs> I know you're wrong. <laughs> I know you're wrong, but I know you're such a skilled debater. You're going to have the audience eating out of the palm of your hand. And listeners of this podcast will know that occurred on the colonoscopy debate. Go back in. <laughs> okay, John, thoughts?
2: Well, RFK Jr. is a lawyer by training. And so lawyers by training, are they're in the game to... To win and to convince a jury, and they are very good at using observational data and causation, and you know correlation and causation, and there is that issue. <clears throat> but you know, Adam, I mean, to your point about uh, a platform, he's polling at very high in the Democratic uh, prime. Uh, you know, the, the polls. He has, you know, he's a prominent guy, and I I listened to the Joe Rogan podcast. I listened to his interview with Barry Weiss. And I have to say that, yes, of course, the Wi-Fi thing, the vaccine thing, this is this is problematic. But when he speaks about his family and when he speaks about his views about America and about restoring, um, you know, restoring American uh, values and bringing us together, these are extremely compelling ideas. And so, yes, there's. I mean, there are th- there are bad ideas, but there are many good ideas. And from a scientist, from a science standpoint, there are a lot of people who believe that vaccines are not beneficial. I mean, there's a lot of people not getting vaccines. There's a lot of people have post-COVID. I mean, the uptake of childhood vaccines post-COVID has gone down. And so if you're a scientist and you care about vaccines and you care about children, I think- It behooves you to go on a show like Rogan. You may lose the debate, but he gave, you know, Joe Rogan said, I will give you unlimited time to explain these studies. And you go and you make your case, you make your scientific case. And to me, during the pandemic, that was what was lacking amongst public health. We didn't have enough explanatory public health. We we treated American people like they were dumb, and we just decreed things like, Blood transfusions are good for infections, like hormone replacement therapy is good for women, like antiarrhythmic drugs are good post-MI. We just decreed these things and people are not stupid. They're like, I'm not sure. So this is an opportunity to go on. You may lose and you can say that, but you're going to make your case. And I think we don't make our case enough in, in science and in public health.
0: That's a great thought. Okay, so I'm going to come in, in between you a little bit, um, which is that- uh... I mean, I I, I agree with Adam that you know if it's an important cause and you're just going to fuck it up, keep yourself out of it. And you just can't even say, like, I'm not the best spokesperson. And I do have the intuition that Hotez will be flattened, not just for rhetorical skills, but also I think that any public health official who was really on the extreme side of COVIDian policy is not going to be an effective communicator in these debates. I think this is where RFK has got him. RFK is going to say... Remember when you wrote, September 2021, schools should remain closed. What were you thinking? And I got into this debate privately where I made a little comment on Twitter. I said, look, RFK thinks Wi-Fi opens up the blood-brain barrier and toxins go in, maybe increases brain cancer. I would classify such a belief system as a little bit flaky. (laughs) Okay, It's a little bit flaky to think that. At the same time, You know, I also thought when they put the cloth mask on the two-year-old and with my eyes I saw them chewing it, I thought to myself as an expert in medicine, that might be a little suboptimal for stopping the virus, especially when they take it all off to nap in the same room together. Now, somebody like RFK might say, well, you know, isn't that also crazy of you to think that that would work? And, and if I'm a purist, I'd say, well, that was also kind of crazy. But it was a, it was a crazy thing that like, experts succumb to, many experts, including some who keep writing about it to this day in the Chicago Tribune. I mean, they keep writing. keep writing. They want to do this. Okay, so I do agree with Adam. I think Hotez is out of the picture. Now, to John's point, somebody's got to be in the picture. And I think RFK has got another advantage that we have to be honest about in science, which is like, what if I were to tell you, That Selsin Blue or other like anti dandruff shampoos are associated with gout, and the odds ratio is 1.015. Okay? Now, you can say to me, boy, we've never seen any studies that link Selsin Blue to gout. It's kind of crazy that you would even think that. Like, why Selsin Blue? Why not conditioner? Why not, you know, Dove? Why not toothbrush paint? You know, why not, you know, toothpaste or whatever? You know, there's anything you can pick and try to link to gout. But to really refute very low odds ratios as a scientist is really hard because the best you could say is like, look, we've not seen evidence of a major signal, uh, but we don't really have a data set capable of excluding such a very, very tiny odds ratio. But honestly, you're crazy to be worried about your cells in blue because you're bathed in chemicals all day. You know, like all, you know that, that, I think that's a strong argument. So the problem with, I think, talking to people who believe in false links or unproven links, is that a true scientist cannot say this link does not exist and cannot exist. A true scientist can only say, based on the available data set, no one has proven the link, and below certain thresholds, odd ratios, it's likely we'll miss the link. Um maybe so anyway, then my last point. I actually think the only way to RFK is going to be so powerful in 10 years. He's got so much momentum. You know, he's going to be unstoppable. The only way to defeat him is to say, we are creating a new phase four surveillance system. It's going to be capable of detecting odds ratios 1.05 or higher. Like I think our our systems are actually kind of pretty weak and phase four safety for all pharmaceutical products. We need to build a new system that can detect very tiny odds ratios. And we need him to sign on to it and say, I agree. This is an acceptable system to me. And if this system says whatever, we'll say whatever. But if this system says there's no link, there's no link. So I think you've got to meet him. I mean, the only way to defuse him, he's a time bomb. He's unst- He's going to, he, if he's allowed to continue, he's going to be, you have to meet him and get some compromise on paper. Okay, that's my thought. Adam? Well, oh, John, you want to go?
2: Well, not only that, Vinay, not only that, but I, I would, I would, make a bigger picture argument so this afternoon i was listening to coleman hughes on the fifth column podcast and coleman hughes brought up the idea that in the pfizer covid uh, pfizer vaccine trial yes there were fewer there were a lot fewer covid related hospitalizations but there was 15 deaths in the uh, pfizer arm or in the vaccine arm and 14 deaths in the placebo arm and, he, you know, his idea was, I want somebody to explain that to me. And so one thing that a scientist like Hotez can do is he can go on and say, look, the trial was designed to test for uh, infection-related hospitalizations. And when you're looking at all-cause death in 60-year-old people, there's going to be noise. And there's no difference between 15 deaths and 14 deaths. There's no difference between four heart attacks and one death, because if you threw dice, you you yeah, would get that. Yeah. And so, yeah. so the American, there's people on the internet discussing this and saying there were more deaths in the vaccine arm yeah, and it's yeah. related to noise and yeah, that is one thing that a scientist could explain to how many million listeners that rogan has yeah and he, yeah, they could explain yeah. it to rogan because i think sometimes he's susceptible yes to these 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 sort of noisy things
0: well i don't think hotez is the man for the job but you are or somebody else good okay no, but Adam, he should
2: yeah. wait no 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 time out
0: yes okay fine you want to go to Ho- okay. uh, Hote- time out
2: he is absolutely the person for the no. job. The guy's a distinguished professor at Baylor. He's on CNN constantly. And, saying nonsense. And, and he's got a bow tie and he's got a white coat. And if you can do all of that, you surely understand. Okay, I'll
0: tell you why he's Wait, not the man for the job. The man, he's not the man for the job because he is a naked Democratic partisan. I'm a Democrat, but I'm not a naked partisan. He's a naked partisan. He's got so, such a long paper trail of saying stupid shit No one will hear him even when he's right. And also, I'm not sure he's actually good at explaining the statistics of clinical trials. Okay, we'll put that aside. Adam, thoughts on this issue? Come back to hotel. How about Ah. Joyner? Should he go? (laughs) Joyner, Rogan and Joyner will be like buds. They'll agree on everything.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I don't think I have anything to add.
0: But you agree the the point about like how hard it is as a scientist to say there is no signal. It's zero because it's hard for us. Yeah, okay.
1: No, absolutely. And I actually think some of the best things that you have and I have written together, you know, going back to our work on medical reversal and the sort of burden of proof and, and you know, how you prove that something works um, and and who has to prove that that works gets to that, right? Right. Um, Um, and, and it's hard because when you get into these things where you're saying, oh, you know, there's, there's some potential for this and here are the anecdotes that, you know, I can throw at you. It is incredibly hard to argue against that. Um, I'm not sure I agree with you that RFK Jr. is such a threat in the long term Hmm. because I think that the, I think that the, 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 the issues that he attracts people on, which are those issues, have actually fairly limited appeal. Um, he's also, I think, even in today's world, we're kind of lucky that he's older, um, and he's going to sort of age out of things by the time he could really be a threat.
0: John? Uh,
2: i i I still stand by my statement that we we can explain, we can explain, correlation causation. We must explain correlation causation. We must explain how science works and how there's uncertainty and it's fine. And if he loses debate, it's, it's totally fine. But
0: you know, who you should debate, not Peter.
2: No, but, but, but Peter well, here... Hotes, Peter Hotez should debate. And, and, and if he, if he can't do it, then that's a problem. Right?
0: I don't have but all the quotes at hand, but there's, there's going to be a quote somebody pulls up where it says, Peter Hotez, you think kids should have MMR vaccine. You also said something to the effect of like, we should, we should be wary about opening schools until every kid under 12 is vaccinated. That's what his quote. Okay. So RSK is going to say that to him. And then he can say, explain to me, Dr. Hotez, explain to me why you thought schools, which provide a huge benefit to children- should remain closed until kids get a COVID-19 vaccine when the zero prevalence at the time of your own statement was 68% headed upward. Explain that to me. So if you're wrong about that, Dr. Hotez, aren't you wrong about MMR? You know, So that's why I think Peter Hotez get his ass kicked because what are you going to say? He is wrong about really obvious things, John, because he's a naked partisan. He doesn't use his brain. He can't separate MMR.
2: That's what's going to happen to him. But he might answer, we know that now. No, well, we oh,
0: oh, oh, okay, then here, well, then the thing. counter-argument. Oh, P- Dr. Hotez, Provincetown, the date of the Provincetown event occurred July 1st, or whatever it was, 2021, where you knew person-to-person transmission, second piece of data. FOIA email by Walensky, January 2021, quote, Francis, we're seeing breakthrough infections on the vaccine. So, Dr. Hotez, with these pieces of data, knowing that you're in touch with the inner circle in the CDC, you really are telling me you didn't know that a vaccine that wasn't tested for transmission, that had already had reports of breakthrough you thought that would be sterilizing why would you believe that dr hotez like uh, he's done man
2: so what do you think of what do you think of (laughs) tyler cowan's argument he wrote in bloomberg that he shouldn't the hotels shouldn't debate because it because debates are too wild and and crazy and he tyler cowan believes that it really ought to be a written academic debate where it, it almost like a legal brief where there can be arguments and can be adjudicated by experts I mean, what do you think of that? argument? So,
0: sounds so fun. All the whole audience will read that.
2: <laughs> yeah, I disagree. I mean, I, disagree, I, I hardly yeah, ever so. disagree with Tyler Collin, but I disagree with this, that that as a scientist, we should be able to put our thoughts in and we, and, and we should be able to communicate our thoughts and we should be able to be persuasive to not just our colleagues, but to everybody. I mean this is what we do in the but, office, right? This is but, this is what clinicians do. We don't yeah. we, we don't we don't make academic arguments or legal briefs in our office. We we, we make our we make uh, A you know statements. we make conversations and recommendations based on uh, not just the data but the patients in front of us.
1: But John, not everybody can do that well, isn't it? Yeah. You know. And 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 I honestly don't want someone who's gonna get slaughtered for all the reasons that, that I outlined kind of debating my side you know i would there are plenty of of physicians researchers who have been you know right on most things about covid who have the the ability to do a good debate who should do this you know um
0: yeah i guess that, that's my bottom line is i'm with you john that someone should debate it has to be someone who's a centrist on covid somebody who was yes we should vaccinate old people Eh, Let's take it easy with those boys. Someone who was like, eh, you know, yes, you know, um, maybe it was reasonable to close schools initially. We didn't know. But, you know, uh, probably by the fall of 2020, we really should have opened them up again. You need somebody who comes in with like a regular common sense, middle of the road view. And then to say like, look, I hear you, RFK. I hear you. And you have to hear him about what he's really right about, which is that the pharmaceutical industry is trying to dupe us. They're doing these shitty studies, like look at this testosterone study. You know, they're really not the best arbiter of their own safety of their products. I hear you say that, and it resonates with me, but I also want to say that when you talk about the MMR, I think you go a little too far. I think you're a little dangerous. And also, maybe the compromise is we will create a new safety system we will answer this question. Would you agree to that? You're willing to put, your, put this down for an ish, a minute, and in the next five years, we'll run this study. We'll design it together. You can have your input, but whatever it says, it says. Are you willing to agree to that? that i think that's the only way to beat him in debate it's not to blast him hotez that bow tie will be spinning (laughs) and i would love to debate hotez because i would obliterate him too i'd obliterate him worse than rfk jr in fact for me it's more fun to go after hotez why because you know he spoke on behalf (laughs) of the establishment (laughs)
1: all
0: right we gotta go Uh, (laughs) oh that's what i thought too adam (laughs) that's a person you don't platform all right on that positive note john closing thoughts adam anything We'll be back. Oh, next week's the holiday. Happy 4th. We'll be back uh, with more sensible medicine. Thanks.